November is traditionally considered the month of Thanksgiving. And as we consider what that phrase means, a lot of our thanks comes through our giving. When you talk about giving in the average church or in the average political campaign or just in life in general, whatever it may be, people are typically very sensitive to this topic. And sometimes they say if you talk about it too much, you can more easily be turned off. But I would just say this. Jesus talks outside of the kingdom of heaven more about the issue of money than he does anything else in the New Testament Gospels. And I would also venture to say this, not just from what the scriptures say, but also I can testify from life experience, you are never more like Jesus than when you give. And how you give, the spirit in which you give, and how you and why you give will do more to determine your Christian faith than anything else. I truly believe that. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes, contributions, offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Prove me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. But then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. 
They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Israel has this pattern in the Old Testament of turning to the Lord and running from the Lord. Turning to Him, running from them. You can see it all throughout the Old Testament books of a people who are being commanded to obey God and yet they fall into disobedience over and over again. And when they do, in order to help them follow Him, God judges them. And in the midst of this judgment, he says, here's who I'm against at the beginning of of Malachi 3, and then in verse 5, against the sorcerers and the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, the liars, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. They don't give fair wages for fair labor. The widow and the fatherless, they don't care for them. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner, the foreigner, they don't care for them. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, all of that is within the context of robbing God. Here's what he says. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So you haven't put your trust in God. You haven't taken him at his word. And then he says, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's not the only time in Scripture that God makes that kind of trade-off. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. You'll find Him when you've searched with Him with all your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Are you away from God this morning? Do you not sense His presence? Do you desire to go back? And if you do desire, maybe you're asking what the Israelites did. How shall we return? Here's how. By giving what is owed. He says, will man rob God? Can you imagine such a thing? Robbing thievery is not very popular in this world. I don't know anybody that likes to be robbed or stolen from but to steal from God. He says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He goes on, in your tithes and contributions, in your offerings. And look what he says to this. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe, 10% of our income, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, that is, prove me in the King James, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. On top of that, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. In other words, I'll provide for you if you just leave it in my hands. Now, folks, this is the only time in the Bible when you are invited to prove, to test God. He says, here's what you've got to do. You want to see if I'm real? Prove me in this area. 10% of my income, it's not my income, it's the Lord's income anyway, it comes from Him. 10% of it returned to Him. Here's what will happen. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of the light, says the Lord of hosts. And he remembers how they've complained about this. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. You know that song. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long while there are others living about us, never molested, though, in the wrong. These evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. But then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. They, con they confer with one another. And the Lord pays attention and hears them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This is what he says. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. They're my children. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. One believes God, one does not. One takes God at His word, one does not. Here's the difference. Whether or not you obey God's commands. If everyone in this room would pay attention to what the Scripture says about money and finances, your life would be totally different. Billy Graham says this, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help him straighten out all areas of his life. We live in a nation that very much lives on credit. Not money that you have, but money that you one day hope to have. And so we get stuck with bad mortgage rates, we get stuck with predatory lending, and people end up having to keep up with their neighbors, they have to have the biggest house, the nicest car, and all these other things, all in an effort because this is my life and I should have what I want right now. And the scripture comes back and says, wait a second, every breath that you breathe, the ability that you have to think and to work and to do anything, doesn't come from you. All these people who say, well, if God is really who he says he is, let him strike me down with lightning. God could at just a moment make your heart stop beating anytime he wants to. Just by his grace that you're able to live. And when I begin to understand that everything that I have, my time, my gifts, my financial resources belong to him, I move somewhere. Now, I understand some of us are not in a great financial position. It's not even necessarily our fault. Some of us have gotten into a lot of bills for medical expenses. Maybe we've lost our jobs. Maybe we're having trouble making our house payments. Maybe we've got kids or even grandkids that we have to support. And so one of the things that we have to examine is what the Scripture says about money. So we go from struggling with it to understanding scriptural principles about what it means to save. John Wesley used to say, Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. If you've never gone through our financial resources class with Dave Ramsey, I encourage you to take that. Those books are very helpful. So you move from struggling to stability, to where you're able to have an income, to where you're able to provide for your family, and you begin to obey the Lord. 
But then you move even a step beyond that when you realize that it all belongs to him anyway. You go from struggling to stability to surrender. And that's where you say, God, you have a blank check with my life, not just my financial resources, but everything that I have. And out of that, you move into sacrifice, where it costs you something to give. Here's the application. I'd encourage you to write this down. You can probably remember it without doing so, but whatever you have to do, remember this. Prove God. That's all he says. Prove me. Listen, this isn't about what God wants from you. It's about what he wants for you. And if you can trust him in this area of life, you can trust him in any area of life. And I don't just say this as someone who's given you an idea of what you need to do. I'm saying this as someone from personal experience. You say, Barry, that's easy for you to say. You've got a nice salary, no kids. You know, you don't have the expenses that I have. When I was about 15 years old, I knew the Lord had called me to preach. I didn't know if it was going to be full-time ministry or not, but I'd been preaching a little bit since I was 13. And, and I saw people who were asking God for money, and then they were spending this money on their private jets. Or they were going on these, you know, $25,000 vacations. They were buying these multi-million dollar homes all in the name of God. And they would put it on their TV screen and say, call this number and God will bless you if you'll give to my ministry. And I just determined, I thought, God, if you call me into ministry, I want it to be proved that it all came from you and nothing came from me. And so when I was a teenager, I committed to give, not just, and I say this in humility, I just want you to hear this. I committed to give not 10 but 20% of everything that I had to the Lord from that day forward if he would enable me to do it. And I tell you, there were times when that got very difficult to do. When I was serving at a church where I made less than half of what I made right now, and you say, well, you don't have all the expenses that I do. I've got close to, by the time I'm done, seventy dollars to $80,000 worth of seminary tuition that's been paid over the last few years. I've got, I've got as much in, in my piece of paper hanging on my wall, as some of you do in your house. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but that's where it is financially for me. But I just want to say to you that even when I haven't had it, God has provided it. And I believe the reason that I'm standing before you right now able to proclaim that is because God has worked in my life more in that area than in any other area. Can I just ask something of you for a show of hands, and, and not, to, not to brag, but just as a testimony for the Lord and not to be embarrassing? Those of you who have committed to give and to tithe, and there have been times when you haven't had the money, but you've given it anyway, has God blessed you for it? Has there been times when that's taken place, when you haven't had it to give and you've done it anyway? Look at this testimony. I'm just telling you, and I don't know who gives in here and who doesn't. I don't want to know, but I'm just saying if you will commit this to the Lord, he will bless you for it. And the blessings are not always financial and material. In fact, the blessings are God. He doesn't say, I'll make you rich. Although you'll be rich in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be richer than the wealthiest person on the face of this earth in God. He says, if you'll commit this to me, I'll supply your needs. And so some say, well, I've got to wait until I'm in a good financial position where I can do this. No, you've got to do this in order so that you can be in a good financial position. You say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. I am just telling you, God will do something in your life when you do this. You know, we face some challenges right now. We may lose our tax-exempt status over the next few years as religious liberty continues to be threatened. 
Every bill in our church goes up by 25%. If that takes place, that's a hundred grand added to the budget. We've got a little bit of a, of a financial shortfall right now. But did you know this? If every person who attends this church would take God at his word and would tithe, we wouldn't even have to raise money to pay for this building. It would all be right there in the budget. If everyone here would obey God in this area. And this is what he invites us to do. He says this giving is an act of worship. It's a legacy and responsibility. Whether you're young or you're old, you can't outgive God. He always supplies your needs. And some of you this morning, I say this as someone who loves you and as someone who cares for your soul, some of you need to stop calling God a liar. You say, I'm not calling God a liar. You're not taking him at his word. He says he'll supply your needs. Apparently you don't believe him. I just want to make a challenge to you. Try this. Prove God. Remember my pastor calling me out in a sermon. He would try to call people out individually sometimes when he preached. And I was a 10-year-old boy, and he was talking about tithing. And he looked at me, and he said, Barry, you need to tithe. I've been tithing ever since. I don't care whether you make $1 or $100,000, you need to give to the Lord. And even beyond that, that's just the baseline. Some would say, well, we're not under an Old Testament law, we're under grace. Yes, and shouldn't we be willing to give that much more? So we trust in God and we respond to Him in gratitude. Not about what God wants from you, but about what He wants for you. And I'm reminded of what Jesus says about that widow who just gave a couple of pennies in her day. I've got a widow's mite up in my office. I'd love to show you that sometime. It's just a little bitty thing. It's not much. But that elderly lady placed that in that cup. All the people around her were writing the big checks. And Jesus singles her out and says, this widow's given more than all of you because she's given her all. And I think about a God who did not shortchange any of us, but freely gave of his son so that we might have life. I just want to urge you, prove God. You won't regret it. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.